0: Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. Let's just look at the title for a second. We're talking about dumb things. We're not talking about dumb Christians, all right? We're talking about dumb things that otherwise intelligent Christians believe. The other key word for today is the word Christians, because what I'm going to share with you today is not something we can do in our own power. It's something that we have to do because God empowers us. So this message isn't for people who are, and you're welcome to hear. We're so glad you're here. But this message today really isn't for people on the fence, with Jesus. Because what we're going to talk about today is incredibly difficult. And I, I'm going to try to use God's word and my words and urge you, push you, push myself to do something that's very difficult to do. And yet, the Bible is crystal clear on our obligation here. So, what we're talking about is the misconception that forgiving means forgetting, forgiving means forgetting. See, in some Christian circles, because we so value the way God talks to us about how he forgives our sins, in some Christian circles, because there are a couple of Bible verses that talk about God forgetting our sins, what we do is we say then, if somebody has hurt you, here's what you have to do. You have to forgive them, and if you ever think about it, if it ever bothers you, if you're ever upset about it, if you ever consider it again, you haven't fully forgiven them because you haven't forgotten it. Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. That's kind of the mantra. I want to challenge that today. I want to tell you what's at stake if you believe forgive and forget. is what God requires you to do with all the hurt you've experienced. See, what happens is is Jesus said, the truth makes people free. So if we believe half-truths and misconceptions, everywhere we do that, we end up being half-free or not-free. And today, I'm going to show you a difficult but true path to getting free of some hurts and hang-ups and challenges that you're facing. I come to the stage today not as an expert in the sense that I've got it all figured out and just follow what I'm telling you to do. Not at all. I'm a traveler today. I'm part of the mass of followers of Jesus that find this subject incredibly challenging. That's why Jesus was so clear on it. Because it'd be very difficult to do what we're going to talk about today, but if Jesus were unclear about it, it would be even harder. Jesus was clear on this so that we could experience the freedom he wants us to experience. So let's talk about how we got to the idea that forgiving means forgetting. And like all half-truths, they're based on a little bit of truth. This one comes from, the misconception actually originates from some verses that are taken further than they should be taken, in my opinion. You can even disagree with my premise, but at, by the time we get done, my hope is that you'll at least embrace the truth that I think God has for us. So let's look at Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. We're going to go through a bunch of scriptures today, all right? Psalm 103, verse 12, here's what it says. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he, God, removed our transgressions from us. I don't know if you know this or not, but if, wherever you are standing on a globe, if you start walking south... Wherever you are, you start walking south. You can walk south for a very long time. But at some point, when you reach the south pole, your next step, no matter what you mean for it to be, you will actually begin heading north. Do the math in your head real quick. You can figure that out, right? You at the very south pole. The very next step, you begin. So in other words, north and south have terminal points. But on the same globe, if you start walking east, you can walk east forever. In fact, you can circle the globe 100 times and you never start moving west. So God says, your sins, here's what I do for you. As far as the east is from the west, I take your sins away. Right, Micah 7, 19. Old Testament book, doesn't get a lot of playtime. Here's a cool one though, cool verse. He will uh, again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. Talking about God now, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is where Christians get the idea of the sea of God's forgetfulness. God takes your sin in mind. He applies the death and resurrection of Jesus when we come to him in faith. And he takes our sins away and he puts them into the depth of the sea. And good preachers say, and he puts a no fishing sign right over the spot. So that it's gone. It's gone. Don't have to worry about it. Your sins are removed. God forgives completely. Jeremiah 31. 34, last part of that verse says, God speaking here through the prophet, for I will forgive their iniquities, their sins, and their sins I will remember no more. So this, these verses, a handful more, we discover God's heart for us on forgiveness and our sin. Now Christians, you know this, that God's, as goes God's heart, that's where we're supposed to press into ourselves, we're supposed to follow our Father, You know, he models in the person of Jesus. He reveals in the scripture, and that's where we're supposed to go. So as goes God, we're supposed to be godly and press in. We read verses like this, and we feel compelled to deal with our hurts in the way that we read these scriptures, and it seems to be communicating. But if you were here last week, we talked about the idea that the images we have about God, the language we use, is largely the tool of the metaphor. Now, metaphors are powerful tools because they reveal accurate truth but they're not completely the thing they're trying to describe. They're actually dissimilar things that have commonality. And in the commonality, we can discover truth about the one that's less known because we know the other related item. We know what it's like, and we can apply that truth and discover more things about the thing over here. That's what we do with God. We call God our Father. He talks about His heart for us, but He's not physically our Father. We call Jesus the Son of God, and He is. That's His title, but He's not literally coming from the Father to the Son, because the scripture says Jesus is God, so there they are. But those metaphors tell us a lot about their function. They're accurate. They're just not fully complete in all the way. This is what God's doing in the pages of the scriptures we just read when he talks about forgiveness. He's saying, the sin that you've done, I'm gonna treat you as if it never happened. Now, It's not trying to convince us that God truly doesn't remember them, although I suppose God could do that. The challenge is is we have this basic belief that God knows everything. God knows your sin. The stuff He's already forgiven you. He knows it. He hasn't forgotten it because He's omniscient. He knows everything. But He's not going to hold it against you. He's going to treat you as if it's as far away from you and Him as the east is from the west. He's going to treat you as if He's buried it in the sea of God's forgetfulness. But you and I probably shouldn't forget all of our sins. In fact, we should probably learn from some of them. We should probably learn from some of them. Forgiven, not walking in shame and condemnation, but we should probably learn from them. Because experience is a powerful teacher, especially experience that you reflect upon. So it's not just experience, but experience you reflect upon, powerful teacher in our lives. And so yeah, God has removed your sin, but I hope you haven't forgotten them all because you don't need to make those mistakes again. You don't need to experience those consequences again. And God hasn't forgotten them in the sense that he obliterated them. What he has done is he's chosen to, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, cover our sin and not hold it against us. This is important because if we believe the misconception that forgiveness means forgetting, it sets us up for some horrible relational dynamics here on earth. And it tends to pile on people who are already hurting. Some of the pain that you feel over past hurts and abuses and betrayal and lies, some of those pains, the pain is actually for you a light beeping on your dashboard like, a, like one of those red lights on your car that your oil's low or you got a flat tire. It's a dash beeping on your light board saying you might want to deal with this a little bit right here. So what's what's really at stake here is is that we may embrace some kind of Christian slogan and miss the heart of God on a matter. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a quick survey of some scriptures and try to get to the heart of God on a matter. Now, let me tell you why I'm doing this. I'm not going to here today try to convince you to be a forgiver. I hope you are. I do. Like, I hope if you're sitting on some hurt and bitterness today, that as we investigate God's word, that you'll press into being a forgiver. I hope you discover God's heart on this. So we're gonna take some time and just, like almost like a survey as more, more than setting a course, we're gonna kind of survey the lay of the land versus setting a path today. Normally I set paths. Today we're gonna to survey a little bit. But here's why. I think when I observe Christians, and in my own life, the thing I see is one of the biggest stumbling blocks, one of the biggest blockages to God's full work in your life and mine, is observation, don't have stats, is a heart full of unforgiveness, a heart full of bitterness. That's why the writer of the Proverbs says, don't let bitterness take root, because bitterness that takes root is like the weed on the sidewalk. If you deal with it early, no problem. But once it takes root, it goes down deep. It can literally, it's powerful, it's small, but it's so powerful. Over time, it can literally begin to disintegrate, crack the sidewalk around it. That's what bitterness does in our hearts. And our Heavenly Father loves us. And it breaks His heart when our sin, or in this case, the sin of others that has impacted us and hurt us and wounded us, it breaks His heart when that sin keeps a hold on us. And He wants us free. He wants us free. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father when it comes to the matter of forgiveness. And so to get us free, He speaks some very direct words to us. And He puts a significant amount of obligation and responsibility on us. Because in the Scripture, all the freedom God offers has a corollary responsibility offered uh, beside of it. The responsibility becomes the pathway to the freedom that we really want for ourselves. Here's what I know about you if you've been hurt. Last week, yesterday, a year ago, 10 years ago by somebody that's not even alive today. Here's what I know about you. You would love to be free of that hurt and pain in your life. Of course you would. So God comes to us and says, here's how you do it. But it's going to be hard. So let's look at God's heart and then we'll draw some conclusions for us. Again, we're surveying the land. Two big words here. Getting at the heart of God on the matter, the word justification and reconciliation. It's going to sound a little bit like school for just a moment, but go with me. Because this issue is so emotional, we need to bring some logical, intellectual, scriptural clarity to help us see through the fog of our emotions on this thing. Justification and reconciliation are, in the writers of the Bible's day, just words used in everyday commerce and and in courtroom system, the Roman government... Was incredibly stable they had a great court system their system of economics and and military power was just incredibly stable so the world experienced development like it had never known and from that well-developed ordered culture the biblical writers extract concepts metaphors and begin to apply them to God to give clarity to people on what God's character is like and what he wants to do in their lives. The first word is the word "justification" we're going to look at today. This comes from the court system. It's judicial. The word "justification" means that the penalties of a person's crime, or at least the accusations, are removed by decree of the judge, so someone's declared not guilty." So Paul picks up on this theme and he says, "As it relates to our sins, God declares us not guilty. He justifies us. You are guilty. You've done wrong. Your sin separated you from God. Mine did too, so I'm not pointing a finger at you. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ applied by faith to your life, you then are declared, I'm declared, not guilty. That's justification. This gets to the heart of God on forgiveness. The second word for us is reconciliation. In Roman commerce, this term was used as an accounting term. You might, for instance, even today, reconcile your bank account. What we're talking about here is documenting that the account balance is correct. We're going to document that. They're in balance, both sides of the ledger. We, we use this term to talk about two, dispara- uh, two desperate points that have experienced some kind of gap being brought back together. Relationships get reconciled. But originally, it was just a judicial term for justification and an accounting term for reconciliation. But biblically speaking, justification becomes for us the thing that God does when God removes the guilt and penalty of our sin by faith in Christ Jesus. And the death and resurrection of Christ then satisfies the requirement for justice. and God then can declare is not guilty because of the work that Jesus did. So Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then biblically, reconciliation is pulled into the vocabulary of Scripture and theology from the Apostle Paul as he looked at the culture around him and the Holy Spirit inspires him and he uses the metaphor of reconciliation from accounting to talk about what God does for us relationally. The gap created by sin is spanned by the cross of Christ so that a person is brought near to God in relationship. The death and resurrection of Jesus becomes the bridge that allows us to come near to God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17-19, through 19, a few of the key phrases there are these. All this is from God who reconciled us through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then he says, be reconciled to God. So you take this biblical reality and we had come up with a theological truth. So in theology, justification provides the possibility for us to be reconciled. I'm just trying to help you understand God's heart for forgiveness and what he does. He first says, you're not guilty. He has to do that because your sin has put a barrier between you and him. He declares you not guilty. He doesn't count your sins against you. He justifies you, and that opens the door for what he really wants to have happen. God doesn't just take joy in forgiving your sin. That's not the key. That's not the point. Forgiving your sin is a vehicle that God uses to open the door to get you to the real goal, which is reconciling you to him. He wants you to be reconciled to him. You may not know that about God's heart for you. If you feel distance from him, and on occasion you think you'd like to have a relationship with God, all you're doing is mirroring what God already has a heart for you for, that is to be reconciled fully to you. Now we're talking about justification and reconciliation, but we could be using the more common terms we use, forgiveness instead of justification. And then the word reconciliation that's been employed by people who talk about relationships all the time even beyond its theological implications we could be talking about forgiveness and reconciliation forgiveness becomes the door whereby a person who has been offended hurt can be free of that hurt and the dynamic between the person who was hurt and the person who did the hurting can be dealt with appropriately so that the real heart of God for human beings who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ can occur which is ultimately reconciliation. Let's take a quick tour of a couple of verses in the Bible that deal with the idea of forgiveness and without like bible degrees and seminary here let's just make some very casual observations about the scripture. Matthew 18:21-22 Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Because that seems pretty generous to me. Jesus told him, I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. A lot. So like Peter thought he's being generous and God says, uh-uh. So God forgives. He wants us to forgive. And ultimately he wants us to walk in a state of a willingness to be perpetually in a state of forgiving, that's what he wants. I'm talking about why in a minute. I have found that if you can discover God's heart, the why he wants something for you, it makes embracing the difficult things incredibly clearer and honestly simpler and even easier. So discovering why God would say to Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven, is a key to understanding the freedom that he offers us when he calls us to forgive and to reconcile. Luke chapter 17, a key verse in the forgiveness, di- uh, uh, in, in the forgiveness paradigm that God offers us in the pages of Scripture. Luke chapter 17, take heed to yourselves. I love it when Jesus says this. He's saying, like, be careful. I'm going to show you something that's going to help you here. Like, watch out for this. All right? This is good for you. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So a couple of observations. Again, we're not like, we're just, the deep stuff here is on the surface, okay? God wants us to rebuke those that wrong us. Well, that's a little different than a lot of Christians accept and believe. That's right end of the page. If your brother comes against you, does wrong, call him out. Tell them it's wrong. That's scriptural. Tell them how it hurts you. Tell them what they did. Say, I don't understand it all, but it seems to me some of us, like just practical, we're carrying around unforgiveness and, and bitterness has filled our hearts in part because we didn't take the scriptures' command to us. And when a brother in Christ, sister in Christ, does something against the pages of scripture and it wounds us, we're supposed to initiate a conversation. It's just like the teaching of Scripture. It's like replete in the pages of Scripture. Hard to do. But but this should clear up any idea that God wants you to be a doormat. Right? God doesn't want you to be a doormat. You're not somebody's punching bag emotionally. No. You're supposed to go to them and repent. And here's why. If he repents, then forgive him. How often? Like a lot. So rebuke them becomes a part of the call to forgiveness. There's a connection between our to forgive and our obligation to the person who offended us to rebuke them another thing we can get from this is god wants us to forgive often but one clear thing is rebuke doesn't obligate the offender to repent jesus words were if they repent so you rebuke you can control you you can't control them you rebuke but if they repent then fully fully walk down the path of forgiveness one more, and then we'll draw some conclusions. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know the context of this one? Jesus is about to be on the cross, um, or about to, rather about to give up his life fully for us, for, our, for the covering of our sin, and he prays this prayer to God. I'm releasing offense against these people. God, I want you to release offense. They don't even understand the full weight of what they're doing. Don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. He gives up the need for revenge, Jesus does, on the cross. So Jesus forgave those that didn't repent. Forgiveness, your forgiveness of somebody else, your letting go of the hurt and pain, is not dependent on somebody else's reaction. They don't even have to know what they did. And you don't have to then be slave to the hurt, even if they don't even know what they did and can never embrace it. Another, another side point here, though, is that if we take time to try to understand and discern the heart of the person who offends us, sometimes that can help us forgive. Like if, if somebody we love and trust hurts us, and we go to them and we talk to them, you know, under the idea of rebuking, and they say, well, I didn't understand that, I didn't know what that meant. Sometimes that becomes a pathway to begin to forgive easier. There there are literally dozens and dozens of scriptures we could look at to try to glean God's heart on forgiveness and some of the practical biblical wisdom on how forgiveness looks this side of heaven. But what I want to do is I want to talk about some practical godly realities. Now this is coming from a pastor's heart. We've surveyed some scripture kind of quickly here, but I want to talk about some practical godly realities and just raise the temperature on God's value for us forgiving. And hopefully bring clarity to the idea of, well, what do you do if you can't forget and move on? And is that even really what God wants us to do? And if not, then what do I do? So some practical godly realities. Here's number one. Not in any order, just some things I'm working through, all right? There's a time and a place for confrontation, rebuke, and pointing out our displeasure. I I didn't like that. That hurt my feelings. That was wrong. That's not accurate. You shouldn't do that to me. We've had an agreement. You're outside of that. No, you can't do that with this other person because you're in a covenant relationship with me. Marriage. That is a biblical model. And in fact, a lot of times, you and I carry the weight of unforgiveness that literally crowds out the work of God in our heart because we simply haven't done what God's called us to do to have loving but direct conversation with people who have hurt us. So, again, God's call to forgiveness doesn't mean we have to go through life as a punching bag. That's not what, that's not what, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's not talking about your inability to say to someone, I don't want to be treated that way by you. You share faith with me in Christ. This is not the thing we're called to do to each other let's just like get rid of that misconception fully you're allowed in fact you need to you're called because paul teases is out in other places your direct conversation actually for them becomes the open door of dealing with the sin itself you actually become a part of their restoration it's incredibly difficult to do. Tone matters. Timing is important. We can spend eight, nine weeks on tone and timing. I don't know what you need to do in your specific situation. But I do know you don't have to be a punching bag, and you've got to find your voice, and you're allowed to say no and mean it. And still honor God fully when he calls you as a disciple to forgive others. It's so a practical, godly reality number two. Forgiveness and reconciliation are related, but they're not the same thing. So, like total forgiveness, here's what forgiveness does. It puts aside the bitterness and all the plans for revenge. That's important. Because when you do that, you open the door for the other, higher, greater reality. Which is reconciliation. So in reconciliation, both parties, not the one who's forgiving, not depending on what the other person does, not depending on whether it was asked or not, not depending on how they responded, but both parties work to come to the middle and repair the breach. This is incredibly hard to do and realize because the work of forgiveness is hard enough if you've been hurt deeply or over time but understanding you have absolutely no control over whether the other person actually is willing to reconcile, treat you differently, honor your reality that you are also made in the image of God. You can't control that other person. And yet God's heart, when there's a breach in your marriage with your kids, in the body of Christ, his heart isn't just forgiveness. It's reconciliation. But you can't control that other person. So God doesn't put on you and me the reconciliation as a full responsibility. What he does is he puts on us the responsibility to forgive and then the call to work towards reconciliation. But we can't control it. We can't make reconciliation happen. In fact, some of you have been hurt and wounded deeply by people who aren't even alive anymore. And you're still carrying it. And you can't reconcile. So... Does that mean you're fully, like, you're stuck forever? No. Forgiveness is powerful. Reconciliation is the goal. But forgiveness is powerful because you, for you, independent of them, don't have to keep drinking the poison of bitterness. You can shed the extra weight that comes from carrying those boulders of pain around That's why Jesus commands us to forgive in some of the scariest passages of the Bible. As you forgive others, so I will forgive you. I don't know all that that means, but I know instantly that becomes very important to Jesus. But he doesn't command you, make sure you reconcile 100% and force them to do it, do whatever, give up your integrity, give up your goals, give up your humanity, give up so that you... Always do what they want so you... That's just... That's not in the pages of Scripture. The hope is reconciliation. But the path is forgiveness. It often includes a very harsh and direct communication. Sounds harsh, at least. It's hard. But it comes from a heart of love for you, your own love for you, and your love for them. Right. So, practical godly reality number three. We're just like... I'm scratching the surface all over forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't make someone trustworthy. You can forgive and never trust someone again. Trust is a function of their behavior over time. It takes a lifetime to gain it with some people, and you can move it, lose it in a moment. Now, full reconciliation restores the trust, but over time. And so, if the offense is small, it's easy, isn't it? I didn't mean to, I'm sorry. All right, easy, done. But the deeper, the bigger, the longer, the harder it is to trust. And that's okay. In fact, God gave you a high sense of justice in part so that you could walk fully and freely in his image, not being completely consumed by everybody else's actions. So he allows you, in fact, calls us to say to people on occasion, no, we're not doing that anymore here. You can't sleep with whoever you want and come back home all the time. There's a boundary. It's okay. So he calls us to forgive. He commands us to forgive. He wants us to reconcile. So he asks us to engage the ministry of reconciliation and start working to rebuild trust and to open the door to let those that have offended us to begin rebuilding trust. And we look then at what the Bible calls the fruit of repentance to determine whether or not that person can be trusted again. We don't forget what they did. No, we identify it and we start identifying actions in opposition to the hurt. And that behavior we've identified and looked for then becomes the common ground of trust again. You used to treat me this way when you got mad, but now you're doing this, I'm beginning to trust you again which allows for us to be fully reconciled, which ultimately is the goal. But I forgave you way back here because I'm not going to carry the need for revenge. Practical reality, godly reality number four, forgiveness that downplays the need for repentance is not based on love, but sentimentality. God calls us to love, not to some farcical romantic notion of what the world calls love. Not just warm fuzzies. Love confronts, love deals with the reality and provides a path back to health and wholeness. And when we change out love for sentimentality, what we do is we shortchange real reconciliation and we start role-playing instead of really doing life together. It's easy to do when the structure around you is solid. For instance, at school, when you're a kid. Somebody does something, and you're not even mature enough, whatever, but the teacher comes in and creates a role-playing scenario. You're at this desk, you're at this desk. Quit talking to each other. And over time, kids forget and they move on. They role-play. They weren't doing life together. And you can extract that simple metaphoric description and take it into marriages that people aren't reconciled with their role-playing. Because the conversations haven't happened, the trust hasn't been reestablished, and reconciliation is still a faraway dream. They forgot, but it never really went away. Practical godly reality number five. I think what God wants from us is to forgive, let go of the need for revenge, and also to eagerly look for hints of genuine repentance. So here, here's some signs. Like, I, I got verses for all these. we were out of time, so let's just run through them. When somebody begins to accept responsibility for their actions, sometimes that takes time, but you see hints of that. When they begin to welcome some accountability, hey, ask me about that. It's okay. I know I've betrayed trust around this stuff I've been viewing, but why don't you ask me from time to time? Oh, by the way, here's my passwords, and when I get a text, I'm not going to run and get it so you can't see it. I'm not always turning. You allow accountability. When they quit operating in the hurtful behavior and even the things associated, I know I drink too much. I know we have an agreement. So I'm not going to go hang out at the bar like I used to. So they're they're downplaying the thing, but even the things that are associated with it. And they allow the offended person to carry some hurt and some doubt and to wonder. And they have room for that because they know the offense was real. And they begin to repair, restore, make restitution where they can. We're commanded to forgive God wants us to reconcile. That takes trust. The first step for us is forgiveness. So what I'm going to do is share with you nothing here that's earth shattering. I just want to unpack how you and I can ask God to help us be forgivers. Because what's at stake is your heart. Bitterness crowds out God. Bitterness becomes a spiritual stronghold that takes the throne of your heart, that keeps God from sitting on the throne being in charge. That's why God looks at you and he says, you have to forgive. You have to. Because it's for you. And there can't be no reconciliation if we can't get you to do your part. Which is let go of the need for revenge. Quit dreaming about the day you're proven right. Vengeance is mine, says God. Not yours. So, how do we ask God to help us forgive? So, let talk about a few steps towards there. First of all, I think we can understand that God knows our pain and he cares. And I think we have to take time to tell him how we feel. And remembering that God wants us to be free of hate and fear and anger and forgiveness allows us to be free of that weight. That's why the writer of Hebrews says we have a high priest who's touched with everything we've gone, we, that we can be touched with, all the pain. That's Jesus, he went through it all. Betrayal, hurt, Lies injustice carried more weight than he should have misunderstood so we can talk to God number two I think we have to give God permission even ask him to change the way we feel can I be honest with you I don't like to forgive I don't know why I don't know why it is because I agree with everything I've said up here I know it's good for me I don't like it I don't feel like it I don't want to And I have to bring that sinfulness of that feeling and emotion and desire into captivity under the Lordship of Christ. And just like I, on occasion, no disrespect to my wife, look at another woman and my first thought is, wow, I'm gonna bring that under subjection to the Lordship of Christ. I'm gonna honor this woman and the covenant we have. And I'm gonna bring my feelings of unforgiveness and bitterness and desire for revenge under the Lordship of Christ so that I can be free and maybe God can work for reconciliation. I can't fully control it, but I can come to it forgiven and available. Forgiving and available. So you gotta pray, I think. And then give God your emotion and give him room to change. God, I don't want to. Help me, change me. I know it's wrong. I know you called me to more. Number three, here's something that helps me and it might be the hardest thing at all of all. I think sometimes we can reflect on our own sin, like all of it. I don't mean the thing you did that caused them to do the thing. I'm just talking about the fact you're a sinner, you got your own list. And you would love for sins to be forgotten because you would love to forget yours. And in general, that's what I want you to do. I don't want you to walk in shame, but on occasion, especially when it comes to bitterness and unforgiveness, remembering your sin and how much God has forgiven you goes a long way. Sometimes it exposes this sense of anger that we have. We call it righteous anger. It exposes it's not so righteous after all. And usually elevates our awe of God and how gracious he was to us. And it calls to our remembrance those parables Jesus told about the people who were forgiven for a lot, but they couldn't forgive even smaller offenses because they had kind of forgotten how much they were forgiven. At least they acted like that. So reflecting on my own sin helps me a little bit. I think if we want to ask God to help us forgive, we can, number four, we can let God manage any revenge. We've got to quit dreaming of the harm of the other person or being righted, and we really have to guard our tongues here. Some, some of us, I mean, like we get hurt and we just, right? Or we, like we don't do it directly, we go over here with it, and, and, and all it is is a reality that hurt people hurt people. And so managing the tongue, that's why God is so serious about gossip. Because it's real, you feel it, it's not helpful. And so letting God manage that stuff goes a very long way. Hard? Absolutely. Do it in your own power? I don't think so. I think that's where we rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This deposit of God that he gave us when our names were written in the Lamb's book of life, we repented of our sins, and Jesus saved us by his blood, He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to begin to break these things in our lives. And I think number five, we can pray for the one that hurt us and we can kind of set some be nice goals. So like you got Thanksgiving coming up, right? You're gonna be around some family, right? Not always fun, is it? Some of you aren't gonna be around family because you're not gonna go and be nice. You've just said no, and maybe that's the right move for you. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you not to. I'm not going to tell you to set a boundary where you need a boundary. I don't know. That's why, that's why we're, we're surveying Scripture here and trying to get to the heart of God because I don't know what you need to do, but I do know that God calls us all to be forgivers because what he really wants is reconciliation. But you can't even begin to reconcile until you forgive. You can't begin to build trust again until the other person repents. And what do you do if they're not even around to do it anymore? Are you in bondage? No. You submit to God's call to forgive. And you set some be nice goals. So you say at the dinner table, unlike last year when we got in a big fight, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to talk about that thing. And if they go there, if if my mother-in-law goes there again this time, I'm just going to ask for another piece of pie. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up my weight goals and I'm going to go straight for guarding my tongue. because It's a be nice goal. You're laughing because, you know, that, that in-law thing can be hard, right? Or, or it's, it's the estranged child or the estranged parent or the brother. It's just what? like that's family. And then you even stretch that out to the church. We are brothers and sisters and all the dysfunction that exists in your family exists in the church. I think when you begin to pray for the person that hurts you, you set some goals, it begins to change. Job, in our Bible, went through incredible pain and his friends weren't really like friends They were trying to help him, but they came from a very broken understanding of God themselves. And Job comes to the end of that exchange, and the Bible says this phrase about Job that Job prayed for his friends. And the next picture is restoration. There's something about praying for people that wrong you by name. God bless them, help them. Now, I've done a lot of praying for people that hurt me. Doesn't sound like those prayers. My prayers sound more like David when he was angry in the Psalms. God killed him. Make the mountain rocks fall on them. I'm only halfway kidding. I don't quite go all the way there, but that's kind of the emotion. And that's okay. But over time, your prayers become, God, you saved me. You've forgiven me. I don't know what all you want to do in their life, but would you do that? God, if that came from a hurt place, would you heal that hurt? That came from an insecurity. Would you be the solid foundation in the middle of that thing? Would you give them a vision of you? I have found it's very hard to hold under hurt when you're actively praying for somebody else's good. You do that and you set a few nice goals, and I think we can move way down the line of walking in forgiveness. And who knows what God will do in your relationships if you and I take seriously to forgive? Who knows what God might restore? So with that in mind, let's take out our connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation. So the biggest act of reconciliation that we talk about every week around here is the reconciliation between you and your Heavenly Father made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. So next step A on your connect card is this, that today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. I'm asking you to acknowledge what the Bible says about you and repent for it. God, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive my sin? And I'm asking you to let him become the leader of your life. The biblical word for that is the Lord of your life. If you want to do that, check next step A on your card there. When the offering buckets come by at the end of the service, you put your card in there and we'll communicate with you. We're not going to ask you to join our church, give money, none of that stuff. I just want to let you know how powerful and beautiful it is when God declares you forgiven and he reconciles with you. How about next step B? You want to get baptized? This is where we celebrate the cleansing that God works in a person's life. They go under the water, they come back up, the water runs off of them, washing them symbolically, identifying on earth what God has already done in heaven. So if you want to be baptized or get questions answered about baptism, check next step B, put the card in the offering bucket. So here's next step C. I don't know how you need to do this or if it's you, but let's just be candid here, all right? I'm harboring some offenses and the unforgiveness is weighing me down. Please pray for me. Okay. That's a a step. What if you come through the next 45 days of this year and you end 2014 lighter because you invited God to help make you a forgiver? Here's next step, D. D gets closer to the full heart of God on the matter. I'm feeling pulled by God to work for reconciliation in a broken relationship. Pray with me. So like, I think I got the forgiveness thing rolling, but I want more. I want reconciliation. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit working through you. So let's just take that to God and pray about it. And the next step B you're gonna hear about in a few minutes, but it's our Christmas offering and we're ready to get rolling on this. So next step sees it says, and so if you've been around here, you know already, if you're a guest, you'll hear about it in a minute. Here's what it says. Uh, yeah, a staff, team, leaders, you can count on me. I'm gonna give to the Christmas offering. We're gonna make a difference here, near, and far. So go ahead and start writing the checks, give it on the kiosk, you'll see it, all that stuff. And so I'll start giving money. And over the weeks, you'll hear more and more about it. What I wanna do right now is I wanna pray and let God do some work right here in this room, okay? Can we do that? Lord, I wanna thank you For each person today that heard your word and felt your spirit's tug, God, I pray that you would make us forgiving people. God, I pray also that supernaturally, by your spirit, you would begin to break strongholds of pain, bitterness, hurt in this room. God, I'm praying that the shackles that have been holding people back relationally, spiritually, would begin to fall even now. God, for those of us that have been carrying hurt, help us to place it at your feet. Give it to you. God, for those of us feeling called to reconcile, that we're going to walk towards the offender, the one who hurt us. I pray you would empower us and embolden us by your spirit. I pray for those declaring, Jesus, forgive me, become my Lord and Savior. We give you all these things in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.